I would like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtables. My name is Madeline Gerace and I am the student coordinator for the tables. Today our topic is on the challenge of being an other in America today. Our hosts today are Professor Evan Lane and Alejandra Canejo, President of the Latin American Student Organization, LASSO. The Roundtables will now be heard on the first and third Sundays on WGGTLP 92.9 Germantown Community Radio. Hello. Uh, my name is Ahmed Weissman-Hazen. I'm Assistant Professor of Global Studies at Thomas Jefferson University. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm Alman Shmanejo, and like she said, I'm the president of LASSO, and I'm a student here at Thomas Jefferson University. My name is Leslie, and I'm a student. Uh, my name is Adrian. I'm also a student. My name is Sarah. I'm a student. Uh, my name is Miguel, and I am a student. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I'm also a student. My name is May and I'm a student. My name is Michelle and I'm a student. My name is Anna and I'm a student. Welcome you all to this very interesting gonna be um, round table. Uh, before we start, I'd like to start it with a poem um, by a British woman of Somali origin, Warsan Shire. Uh, the poem is titled, Home. No one leaves home unless Home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border. When you see the whole city running as well. Your neighbors running faster than you. Breathe bloody in their throats. The boy you went to school with, who kissed you dizzy behind the old tin factory, is holding a gun bigger than his body. You only leave home when home won't let you stay. No one leaves home unless home chases you, fire under feet, hot blood in your belly. It's not something you ever thought of doing. Until the blade burn threads into your neck. And even then, you carry the anthem under your breath, only tearing up your passport in an airport toilet, sobbing as each mouthful of paper made it clear that you wouldn't be going back. You have to understand that no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one burns their palms under the trains beneath carriages. No one spends days and nights in the stomach of a truck feeding a newspaper unless the miles traveled means something more than journey. No one crawls under fences. No one wants to be beaten pitied. No one chooses refugee camps or strip searches where your body is left aching or prison because prison is safer than a city of fire and one prison guard is the night is better than a truckload of men who look like your father. I want to go home but home is the mouth of a shark. Thank you for that. Um, so to start off the conversation, I, the first question I'd like to ask is, what is it like to be the other? Um, and I would just like to say that um, please feel free to share your stories and your personal narratives if you're comfortable enough to do so. So I think one thing that we can definitely all relate to is kind of awareness. We've all become very aware of the situation we are in, especially under this administration. And I think we've, we've all been listening to what's happening more now. Um, okay, I'll start saying my personal story. Um, being an other, I think, is um, the group that can identify with that mostly is minorities in America today. Um, you know, being the daughter of two immigrants who came here to give me a better life, um, you kind of, you have to make sacrifices and you have to, you know, carry that Kind of burden around with you that you know your parents made those sacrifices for you to be here and you have to meet um you have to exceed expectations that other people do not have to exceed um and i'm sure a lot of people here can identify with that too so anybody else would like to kind of continue that um my name is michelle and um i guess being an other i think each individual has a different story 
you know, being another, um, when you think other, you think of minorities, like Alejandro said, you also think of the struggles that you've been through and you've faced in the United States specifically, you know. Um, I am the daughter of one, more than one million um, undocumented. My father's undocumented. So me having the privilege to be a, a U.S. citizen and my mom and my brother, but, you, but I still get both of the sides. I get the safety side from my mother and from my brother, us being citizens, but I get the fear from my father and I get, and being another so difficult nowadays, you know, um, with all of this, of having a father who's undocumented and him in your eyes, he's, when you grow up with a father, you think he's like your king, he's like your protector. But then when you see a cop or, or like someone of a higher status and him, the fear that he gets in his eyes and the limitations that you have to grow up, you can't travel as much because of the fear of your father or him always being sure that when he drives, he, he makes sure he stops at a stoplight and all that. It's, you kind of grow up with a fear as a child and you're always aware of it. And sometimes you even start fearing the police and stuff. And sometimes you get afraid of like talking to police officers because you're like, okay, if I'm, if I talk to them, like you think of a police officer, they're gonna protect or if you make a phone call, but then you have a fear if you do call, will my father ever be sent, you know, back to his country? And that's a big fear now as an other, if you're undocumented or just in general, you know, um, a lot of police brutality against minorities also have been seen. So maybe you're not undocumented and you are like a, a citizen, but still being a person of color, you've seen a lot in social media, thank God of social media, you've been aware of all the videos of what some, I'm not saying all police officers, but some police officers have hurt in minorities. And we can go even back to slavery, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff. So it's it's a lot still. <laughs> to, I guess we are improving, but we're improving very slowly as another. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think like part of being another is, I guess, always having to defend yourself, mm -hmm. or I guess combat like certain stigmas. Like for example, my dad came to the U.S. when he was twelve, and he came legally, which is like rare in my side of the family like most of his cousins came illegally or they had to house them until they got their citizenship and like in his very specific case like he was able to go to college to get his master's and that's such a rare occurrence and I remember like I think it was two years ago I read something on Twitter and it was like um a link to an article and it was I think it was a congressman uh who had said something like why would immigrants want to come here when they have no skills they can't speak the language and um, they have no family here. And I just remember thinking, like, why? Like, why would someone say that? And especially in the case of my father, like, yeah, he was one of the lucky ones. Like, he was able to get his citizenship, his degree, like, to have a stable job, to be able to have his family come over. And that's not the case for so many people. And I feel like so many people's perspectives of, like, others is like, oh, they come here and they're illegal and they work all these jobs under the table and it's it's frustrating because I feel like for my father specifically he had to surpass so many people's like opinions expectations or like what they thought that he could become and it's just frustrating to see that like so many people have to combat that at every single stage of the process. I feel like uh, being an other is something that like no one chooses we're kind of forced in the situation and it's like a, an uphill battle every day. We try to like conform, but then there's like obvious things like skin color, like what you look like, how you dress, what the way you speak, like those things are like things that people like see and like they kind of like push you off to the side automatically. And so like every day you have to kind of push yourself to conform to these people. And you do it not because you want to, but because you have to. I have a quick question about like just the conforming like I'm here I want to you know get to know the situation more um, I have my own opinions but with that can you give me like an example more because like when I see people like that's I don't think skin color is the first thing I you know it's a personal value of a personal person or, or individual 
So like, can you give me an example of like what you're conforming to or what the standard is and whose standard you're conforming to? Uh, yeah, so like when I was growing up, I was in ESL and so was my sister. And What is we, that for just people that uh, It's like English as a second language. So you basically get taken out of your classes that you're supposed to take and you go into this class where they try to teach you English and they're basically trying to make you speak the right English, like without an accent, without anything. And like I before that, all I spoke was Spanish. Um, and I didn't really talk to anybody up until I knew English because I knew like I couldn't talk to them even if I wanted to. Like I would be like speaking like I would speak with an accent or I wouldn't know the words and like everyone would just kind of not want to talk to me because of that. Because it's just like more trouble than it's worth, I feel like. Okay. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think a personal situation for me is even growing up and like, I, I was lucky enough to be born here, but I have family members who weren't. So we would go to school and like, even in high school, like teachers were telling me like, oh, your English is so good. Even though I've been here 18 years, why wouldn't my English be very good, you know? Very articulate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that would always happen. And then I remember, like, when teachers would try to help you for, like, internships and interviews and stuff like that, they would always, like, tell you, like, make sure you don't sound too, you know. And then they would try to express that you want to try. I guess it felt like they were saying try to sound more American. What would you change about that process? Like, if you could go through the same thing of learning English but make it a better experience for you, how would you change it? I would say don't try to hide what we are. If we have accents, don't try to hide that. I mean, sometimes it's difficult to understand someone when they do have an accent, but that doesn't mean they need to hide it. Mm -hmm. But also, if you making English of the standard itself is power. Because if you are making English the standard language of a certain country, whether it's English or any other languages in, in countries, it always comes with that nationalist power that you have, that you are imposing a language on other people and they have to learn that and conform to your ways of doing. That's where this power struggle comes with immigrants, especially not knowing what ESL is still is, is a privilege because a lot of immigrants know what ESL is because we all have gone through that. We grew up with that. So this going back to your question of what are these standards that a lot of people have to meet or what are these norms, these are the norms that are still particularly to this country of whiteness. Whether you look at, for example, exams, standardized exams are not written for people of color particularly or immigrants to succeed. There are certain ways that are actually um, written and in a way that it's written, the way it's even the questions are framed are for particular people to succeed and progress. Jobs are very similar where people actually can succeed. So it's not just one aspect of life, it's different layers and structured systems that immigrants have to go through or children of immigrants have to go through in order to succeed. And most of the time those steps are also comes with failures. Mm -hmm. Just because I feel like we're going in this direction now, um, my next question was, what, is it, what does it mean to be a real American? And why do we feel forced to change things about ourselves in order to not be deemed as the other? That's a charged word that's been used uh, by people who try to separate out what they think real Americans are supposed to be and what real Americans aren't. And the funniest part about that issue is the only real American is the indigenous Indian who was here. Uh, otherwise, all of us, every one of us is an immigrant, whether we came voluntarily or we came involuntarily. Um, we came here. So I always found that an interesting thing. But I can tell you who the people who say that think the real Americans are. White Christians. That's who they believe them to be which is an absurdity because we're a country of just so many different types. I can make a comment on this one. Um, I came here, my name's Mimi, uh, I'm a social professor of chemistry. Um, I am, I call myself ethnically Chinese, culturally white. I grew up in New York City and uh, I came here when I was 12 years old, legally, some people question that. Uh, and one of the things um, my parents um, has always told me was that being American is pretty much being white. We aspire to be like that, speak like that, 
act like that. And, uh, and that is how I view, how I thought that was supposed to be my world until I started meeting with, as we call it, other people and then realized that I am part of the other. Mm -hmm. Yet, for a lot of us, like a lot of my cousins and all that, we are in this world where we aspire to be like. So mm -hmm. that's what <coughs> we were taught. Is there any guilt or negative feelings that come with that, abandoning your background? My background? Um, well, I'm in a very um, odd situation, as in I did not fit in my own background to begin with. So, <laughs> so I, am in a, in, I am actually a other in both culture. My Chinese culture do not see me as Chinese. And the way I talk about politics and the way I talk about Chinese government, um, they definitely do not see me as Chinese. Whereas American don't see me as American per se because the way I look. And um, so, so truly, I mean, I sometimes I feel like odd, as in where am I supposed to be, right? If I can, if I can um, say something, I've always said this a lot to my friends or someone like, when, okay, so I like to use, I will never be Mexican enough for Mexico or for my people that are from Mexico. Like when I go to Mexico, to them, like supposedly like my mom said Mexico is your home to you, but I was born in the United States. So sometimes we have like arguments to her, like arguments with her. But like I tell her, Mexico is not my home because when I go there, I've only been there twice. And to them, I'm strangers. To them, I'm known as um, I'll say my mom's saying Athanasia's daughter, or Ephraim's daughter. I'm known as your daughter. I'm not known as Michelle. But in the United States, I'm known as Michelle. But in America, I will never be American enough to the Americans. And also, like, bringing it back to the question, too, like, let's bring it back, like, Christopher Columbus, he's an immigrant, if we view it like that, because Native Americans were here before. And they are the real Americans. But now in our society, they've changed it to just people that are blonde, blue eyes, and even still like Latinos. If you are like blonde and blue eyes, like people will still treat you better too. Like still in our society, like people of color will still be like, because I have a um, my little cousin, she has blonde eyes, blue eyes. And people admire her in Mexico. If I if if I stand beside her, like people will look at her first. And even like me, I'm in like an interracial relationship. My boyfriend is Caucasian, and sometimes it's it's kind of weird because I always thought like it's like a weird feeling when I'm around his family mm -hmm. because I always think like how should I act? Am I like too Mexican for them sometimes? So you start thinking all this or like when I'm seen, you know, with like with him in public. Like you can see how people sometimes look at both of us and they're like, like why are we like together? You know? It's a very great point you brought up because I constantly my partner is also white and I also discussing and talking and writing, researching about race and questions of colonialism. Then I question myself that we're so colonized in many ways that even our love is colonized, mm -hmm. that, that we see beauty in those things while we question it. So sometimes I question that, how can I find home even within my own body when everything around me and even myself is colonized? Mm -hmm. So it's not that those questions really think about even where and how we find ourselves in these problematic places because these systems have continuously marginalized us in different ways and have broken us. And that we can't even relate, as a lot of immigrants can't relate with the question of being American, or real American, what does it mean? If you go back to the history of it, the Italians, Jews, Greeks, Irish, they weren't American, or they were not considered white. It took time for them to, 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 to go through this, went through the same very much marginalizations of that. So there's a lot of research on how Irish became white and that became after years and decades of being pushed from these systems. So this is not something new, it's 
it has a history, the, the installation of fear and within immigration, immigrant communities um, is very structural and throughout the youth's history we can see that happening. I think you made an excellent point on colonization because uh, <coughs> we went to India and the color of skin was so ingrained from the British to the Indians, the British had colonized India, that if you were dark-skinned Indian, they considered themselves very clearly inferior. And we were told by many people there that sometimes they stay out of the sun because they don't want to darken it. Their parents say, you don't want to be dark, you stay inside because then you're considered lesser. And when we looked at it, it's because they were colonized mm -hmm. by the British and they were brainwashed even now, even now, mm -hmm. They think white people are superior. When we went around, they took pictures of us like we were celebrities. They didn't take pictures of Arturo, but they took pictures of me and, this, uh, and the women we were with who were white because we were like better. And it was, it was an amazing experience. So that mm -hmm. situation is around the world. That's not um, unique. It's a lot of Asian countries, um, China, Korea, Japan, the skin of your color. My mom to this day still tells me that you need to make sure that you wear sunscreen. It's not because of skin cancer, it's because she wants me to be white. And then there is a whole, like if you go to the cosmetic And then color, white people want to be brown. <laughs> and then they, they go to the cosmetic center and then there are products specially designed for Asian market to say white, different kinds of, like, you know, foundation, cream, you name it. It's, and then you, you can only find it in Asian markets. And so, so they're still being taught that you're supposed to be white. And look at all the um, K-pop stars, they are porcelain white. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's, that's unrealistic. And then also, again, it comes from a lot of colonization in mm -hmm. the 1800s mm -hmm. of the um, countries. If I can. I just thought it was really great that you brought up the whole K-pop thing, you know, celebrities, like social media, fashion, industry, like we, they, they made a very big point to promote, you know, like that white is beautiful, like, you know, like lighter skin is beautiful, like, the, like Michelle said, like the blonde hair, blue eyes, like that stereotype, like that stuff is like ingrained in us, like we grew up watching those people on TV, like we grew up listening to the music, like we grew up like looking at celebrities really like, hey, like I want to be just like her, like I want my body to look like hers. Like it's just something that I mean, it's something that we can fix. I think we've been doing a better job at um, you know, like promoting the fact that, you know, like brown is beautiful, like, you know, mm -hmm. black is beautiful. Like we I think we're doing a better job right now, but I do think a really big factor in that is the fact that like people in those type of influential industries like have not like broken that standard and I have not said like, hey, like this is not the only thing that is that is right or that is beautiful or that is, you know, like superior. And something also that I would want to bring up, like I remember, I'm into makeup and stuff like that. I remember when Rihanna brought her her collection, mm -hmm. it changed, it changed the industry mm -hmm. because she brought, she brought like darker shades mm -hmm. for women of color. Before that, like it was really difficult to find, you know, your, your shade, it, it was a lot of like, lights and tones and for women of color us we would have to be like mixing we had to buy two or three products to get what our shape was mm -hmm. and now so we need people of color to change like obviously it's not going to be easy but if more people of color like rihanna start stepping out mm -hmm. creating things marketing other women of color and stuff i think it could change yeah also i want to move the conversation on personal stories and also other identities, particularly when we think of the category of other. There's also a history around many identities being the other, whether it's gendered identities, women, queer people, trans people, immigrants, people of working class. So the, the other is a larger category that has comes with those systems of power, that how the society has created it, those who will have been in power. What are other identities that you oftentimes have to negotiate when you're in a room? Like which one I have to hide? Particularly when I walk in a room, um, 
full of people, I immediately look around and want to like censor one part of my identity. Which one I can actually live, which one I can hide. As a queer Muslim immigrant, when I walk in, in a queer space, I often want to hide my Muslim side because I knew that there I know that there's a lot of Islamophobia in queer spaces. So what are other identities that when you walk in a room have to you're immediately reminded of or you have to negotiate to hide it or downplay it? I think for me, being a woman, I mean, a couple of days ago we went to an event and at the event it was it was really difficult because you had to, there was all these men in suits and like rich men and you had to be so polite to them you had to be careful with what you were saying you had to touch their shoulders you had to smile you had to be like very polite even if they were saying rude things or if they were like mm -hmm. not being very nice you still had to be very polite because you're a woman it's different and expectations of how you have to conduct yourself because of your gender right and that's always set by Straight says white men. I think you bring out a great point of walking into a room mm -hmm. and figuring out is it going to be a safe space mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we had lunch the other day, but I, my name is not Jewish, although I am Jewish. My, mm -hmm. my father changed it. So it be, when I was an attorney practicing all those years, I had several times people, you know, come, what's with the lame? What is that? Are you a Jew? And I actually said to one client, why, who cares? And she actually said to me, well, I've been taught that Jews have no souls, so I want an attorney without a soul. So you never know, like if my name was Goldstein, mm -hmm. then it's right out there. I'm a Jew, don't say anything stupid, or hopefully. Mm -hmm. But like when I have a name like I have, there's always that danger mm -hmm. that they'll say what's on their mind instead of hiding it. Mm -hmm. So. Walking, I, now walking into the room, and I have many more privileges than people have in this room, I know that. But I can imagine, and I think it's a, when you brought that up, did anyone, students here, when they walk into a room, start making judgments like a professor did? Yeah, so like, not so much here, but in high school. Um, so I'm Mexican, and I kind of like try to fight stereotypes more so, more so like, put on myself because like a lot of people see like Mexicans as stupid and um, like a construction worker and everything and I like that's like what I'm trying to get away from and so like when I go to like these math classes and these honors classes like first days like are always worse because no one wants to talk to you because they think mm -hmm. that you barely made it by and so like for the first like week or so until like people actually find out like that I actually do know what I'm talking about like mm -hmm. they don't talk to me they don't yeah. They stay away from me, and then it's when they find out that I actually know what I'm talking about that they come and try to talk to me and be friends and like mm -hmm. get help with what they're doing. Because like I feel like I've pushed myself to learn as much as I can, so I can like fight all these stereotypes that like are being in, like pushed on to me. Because like, being the other, you have to actually do more yeah. than somebody who doesn't have those marginalized identities to do that. And like uh. Like your question before, I feel like, um, like I feel like, cause I'm also gay, and like that's, I feel like being Mexican is like the thing that mm -hmm. I try to hide the most, mm -hmm. just because like that's the first thing that people see because of the color of my skin, mm -hmm. and that's like the first thing that everyone's gonna always see. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're in history class and the topic of slavery comes up, and every single white kid runs around and wants to be on the black kid in class. <laughs> And it's just kind of like that's something that happens. And it's like even now when we do like more race-based discussions and like the other day, like I said the word white supremacy and the entire class got like dead silent because mm -hmm. it's like almost a dirty word to say. It's like a word that's only supposed to be discussed like hushed in secret, even though it's something very real and something that makes the system the way it is. That's why everyone turns and looks at me when we talk about those things. And it makes you very aware of your identity and like how you look to all of these predominantly white kids around you. Yeah, um, I'm Anna. Um, I find it hard because I know that I have the privilege of looking white. Mm -hmm. I have light eyes, light skin, light hair. No one assumes anything of me, but um, I know that there's a difference mm -hmm. and I, 
me and my family were all undocumented, so like that's like a secret that I have like always tried to hide. Like growing up, I would hide that. Um, I wouldn't ever talk about it. Um, my mom tells me all the time, like I'm so lucky that I, I look this way, and I know that I am because otherwise I know that I would receive a lot of hate, a lot of racism, mm -hmm. and I've never had to deal with that. But I know that I'm different from other people. And then in class, sometimes the discussions will happen about the current administration, immigration, like it's all around me. And it gets hard sometimes because it's like, I don't know, no one expects it from me. And then when they do, it's like, sometimes people's reactions aren't pleasant. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, oh, you're undocumented, but you look like that. Like, are you sure? Like, yes, I know I am. I, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't born here. I don't get the same benefits that you do, but like for some reason I'm different. I went to school with you since preschool. I, I've lived here like all my life, but I'm different. I don't I don't get the same things you get when like from school, just like applying to colleges. It was five million times harder for me than all of my classmates because mm -hmm. had to be a private school, had to be like I had to have my major. I had to like figure out money situations because I can't receive any money from the school. It's hard to find jobs. I, I had to deal with not being able to have, to have a job like for the longest time until I got my work permit. Um, and that's just something that I always think of like when I'm in a room with people that don't realize that they're like talking about immigration. I'm like, oh, they don't know that they're like sitting right next to someone who's undocumented. Like you don't, the people down the hall who have a Trump flag, they don't know that you live right across the hall from someone that isn't documented. Like, it's just, that's what goes through my head. Yeah, so I'm um, speaking more about like walking into a room. So I'm currently a finance major, so I'm trying to like hopefully get a career after college in the financial services industry. And for those of you who don't know, um, financial services filled with like over 70% just old white men. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like clear to everyone. And a lot of like conferences or like networking events that I go to in the city or anywhere I go, um, you know, you walk in, you know, trying to make a good impression with everyone, and you just see a bunch of, like, you know, executives or, like, you know, white men with, like, these really nice suits, and, like, the first thing you, you try to do is, you know, I want to I wanna show them that I'm not like everyone else, you know, I'm not like the other that, like, everybody else thinks of. So it's, like, you always got to, like, prove yourself that you're, mm -hmm. like, at the same level as they are. And that's just something that, like, is put onto us, like, that's out of our control because of, like, you know, reputations that we have. And things like that. So that's like a struggle that you know we always go through on a daily basis in like other situations as well. Yeah, and that's all that you see too. I'm in, in architecture. I'm an architecture major, and you, I, you never see any minorities. The other day, my professor told me that they literally made a rule where you, they can't hire any more old white men to teach architecture anymore. I said, that's great. I, <laughs> I want to see more people that look like me in this field because it feels like I can't make it because I don't see that they have like mm -hmm. and then it's an extra struggle I like talked to someone um she's a sec uh, third year architecture major she said she has to stay in it because she's the only black person left I was like that's a lot to carry that's a lot of weight to carry on yourself because that's you feel like you have to uphold that for your entire culture um but not like also, like for me, something that I feel like I have to hide is being dyslexic, mm. and that's very difficult. You know, I had to. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I had to change my major from pre-med to health science. That was like, that was the most difficult thing I had to do because classes are difficult. You know, mm. here like being dyslexic, being a minority. And then your parents being the first generation on both sides, on your mom and your, your dad, they only went to what, to like kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So growing up, like the system is already broken for you. As, a, as when you get to kindergarten, my mom, like, yeah, she could help me out with mathematics. When it came to English, she couldn't help me out. So for me, it's like so difficult and more being in college, like, Right now, I'm in the academic probation, and many students may not know that, but it's hard. And, you're, and like, it's hard because your parents support you. Like, yes, my parents support me financially, but they can't, like, my mom's not a doctor. They, they don't get chemistry. They don't get biology. Imagine always being in public school. Some public schools, like, yes, you will always, like, being dyslexic, you always have to get out of a room. For me, it took me until middle school 
to be able to go to all regular classics. For you, it may take you one, maybe like one hour to read a chapter. For me, it takes me two, three hours. Still has to repeat it. So other is also like having like a disability. And sometimes like me, you can see me physically and you will never know I am dyslexic. But like me knowing that I am and I want to become a doctor, but I started doing research for my writing class and it's a low percentage of Hispanics. So then I started to think of my situation. I'm like, why? So I started to look back to my parents, back to the educational system. And I was like, wow, now I get it. In kindergarten, my parents could never help me. Mm-hmm. And me with my, my, I could say my broken, my broken English, it was difficult. And then when you get into middle school and I'm finally in the level where everyone is, like it's still difficult. And then in high school, yeah, I was fine. But then I get into college and it's like, wow, all the classes that I wish my teachers in high school or that like that there was like, I did upper bound. Yes, that helped me a lot. I'm very thankful for programs like this. You get into college, there's not a lot of support for you, you know, and you go to your advisor and most of your advisors are white. They will not get me. Like, even if I'm like, okay, I'm dyslexic or even to my teachers, like, it's so difficult being a minority and going to your teacher be like, I, I don't get it. Like, that takes a lot. Like, last year, I had to fail, like, two courses because I was afraid. I was afraid to just go into my teachers or or even to the tutors. Like, you go and only what the most that you can get is an hour. And you go for an hour and you work so hard. You work your butt off and you still don't get the grade that you want to get. And that's so difficult and so frustrating because even your parents at one point, my parents are like, you know, if you can't be a doctor, you can't be a surgeon, it's fine. Be a nurse. Be something. And I'm like, no. Like, I want to be more. And even to them, being a nurse, being something like that, to them it's amazing. I'm not saying be a nurse, be something. Be PA. It's not that. But your dream is to be something. And for you to have to change it just because you don't get the support. And you're like, one, you're a minority. So it's difficult for you to, for your teachers to even understand that you didn't get the same education as some of these students. Some of these students come from public schools that get more funds. So if you get more funds, you get more money. The education is better. Or you come from a private um, high school and stuff. So you already know all of this. For me, if I even if I go to one of my classmates as a pre-med major, everyone thinks you're in competition with one another. Instead of them supporting you, they're like, oh wow. Like they look at you up and down and they're like, wow, you don't know that. And then you, you start thinking like, wow, only if they knew that if they could have helped me or if they could be like, hey, do you want to study with me or take the time? But no, even still here, like, yeah, there is a disability center that could help you, but it doesn't help you with a lot. I feel like on the topic of education, like, my parents both came here, like, when they were 19 in their 20s, so they never went to college. So even from a young age, I could never go to my parents' ask them for homework. I think the last time I asked my parents to help me was something school-related. It's probably first grade. And there was, I had to figure out myself, which was really hard. And I had tutors, and I went to my teachers, and they helped me a lot. But I was lucky because they wanted to give that time for me. But, like, if the scenario was different, I don't even know if I'd be here. And then mm-hmm. I feel like coming from an other and having parents that didn't go to college, specifically for me, I have all this pressure on me that I want to come here and I want to succeed. And I want to, like the previous speaker was saying, I want to be something higher. Like, I don't want to come here for a stupid major for me. Like, I want to go to school, and I want to succeed, and I want to get a master's, and I want to get a doctorate, and then you realize it's hard, and then you still can't go to your parents. Like, I feel like people have connections. Like, when they want to shadow, maybe their parents like a doctor, or their parents this, and they can go to them, they can help that, but you can't find that. Yeah. Then you have to interview, and you have to change yourself to kind of fit what they want, and you're not what they want. And mm-hmm. it's just frustrating that you're in this constant battle of defeat and wanting to do better, and no one's there to support you. I think I really like what you said because it just highlights the fact that there is so many, like, invisible struggles that like people don't understand mm-hmm. like if you're not another like you don't you don't see what like the inner struggles that we have to face with like you know like having to like Michelle was saying like get your mom wants you to be a surgeon like a doctor it's because like our parents came here and like they risked their lives to come here and like you don't want to disappoint like you want to exceed expectations you have to be somebody in order to like 
to like show them that like you know you're grateful for what they did you're grateful for their sacrifices and that you belong here and you're worthy of being here because everybody else thinks that you're not or like they they kind of impose those type of feelings yeah um even with like uh me so like my mom's first generation mm-hmm. and when she came here well her parents came here when they were like in their 20s and so my grandfather went to howard university after he came here and he worked with off he um went to howard became like a chemical engineer and so like on my mom's side ever since i grew up my mom always told me because you're black and not only black because you're a female mm-hmm. you have to work three times as hard as somebody else mm-hmm. you always have to that was my mindset so like anytime like i say like i didn't do well on the test or something like that everybody in the class did well my mom was like i don't care about everybody in the class i care about you why weren't you the one who did well like mm-hmm. it was always that pressure and she's like when you get out into the world, real world they're not going to care what everybody else got they're going to care about you yeah. and because you are african-american or west indian american like it's a lot harder and you always have a target on your back you have two targets on your back and mm-hmm. that's something that i'm queer and so it's like I have three, so it's like, okay, <laughs> so like, that's also an issue. So um, even like just in my design, my drawing classes, I'm the only black person or and the only black mm-hmm. So it's like, um, it's very hard because a lot of the other kids in my class, you know, they, in their high school, they had sewing classes and all these other classes that are related to their major. I didn't have any of that. Like if I wanted to sew, if I wanted to do that, I had to scrape up whatever money I had and actually go and take classes that has asked my mom. She has to work her butt off as well. And even just going back on my mom, my mom um, got her law degree and she went to two Ivy League schools and Rutgers Law. Um, and she is um, in like a law firm right now. Mm-hmm. And so even then, they she's with a whole bunch of white men and they took somebody off the street who they were like, all right, we're just gonna give them an opportunity. They put him in a position that was higher than hers. And yet she got two Ivy League degrees and a Rutgers Law degree. And she still wasn't able to get to that position, yeah. and they put somebody else above her. And that person ended up, I guess, seeing that and thinking with that person, he ended up seeing that and ended up putting my mom in a higher position. Um, so he's taking his privilege and putting it in a mm-hmm. higher position. So I feel like even with white people, you have to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just on minorities to work their butt off and butt off and butt off and do stuff. Because we always do that, and yet we're not getting anywhere. So yeah. I feel like we need other people to focus on that as well. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, like, on the topic of education, like for me, like, you mentioned public schools. Um, money doesn't always equal better education. Because me, like, throughout middle school and stuff, I went to public school. And in reality, like, it's garbage. Public school is garbage. I went to a startup charter, and we, like, the class was 110 people. And, you know, we had our first ninth grade year in mobile trailer before the school even got built. And, um, and it was charter school, so I had to pay for everything out of pocket. Like, it wasn't publicly funded, but it was a way better education. And something like that, I want to propose the question of how do you know that you're stopped from something because of like your racers? Like you mentioned, like I agree, like your mom overly qualified, like I think the best person that has a qualification for the job should get something. But how do you know, like with Adrian's thing, like you said, first day of schools are the, always the hardest because no one wants to talk to you. How do you know that's not just because everyone else is shy or at, no one else is in the same position you are? Like how can you attribute your race or your immigrant status or something to why you got this thing. Can we come back to your question we have? Um, your que- um, have and then also we have another hand in the back. So then um, we can take it back. So I'm Z. Um, this might kind of answer your question as well, but I wanted to take it back to um, the conversation that Michelle started about, I think it's so important yet not talked about at all in all of our communities because it's such taboo minority communities um mental health that comes with uh, exceeding expectations staying on your toes constantly constant fear of paranoia always trying to break stereotypes like that's always on the back of your mind on top of like how's my mom doing this her health okay like are my grades going to be okay with like this semester on top of everything that everyone else is learning about you also have all this other stuff that's just a giant anxiety bubble in your head. And that really drags you down. Like there's, you're, every time you walk into a room, you're thinking, oh God, are they judging me right now? Should I, am I sitting tall enough? Am I like, do I look okay? Something like, do I, does, does my sweater look cheap? Like you're constantly mm-hmm. thinking like that while also trying to like give an intellectual answer to a question somebody asked. Mm-hmm. And all of that just, 
Like, I, I don't know how many times, like, I'm an architect's daughter, but he, I'm a first generation refugee female here. Um, my dad was an architect back in Russia. And he is, everyone in my family talks about how amazing and smart and talented he is. And that is the expectation that I'm trying to meet because I'm also trying to break barriers within my own culture, which is extremely sexist. So I'm trying to break this uh, barrier in my own culture of like, be a strong, independent girl while also not being so too much of that so that it seems like my, I'm trying to break away from my culture because then my culture will judge me for that. And at the same time, I'm trying to like balance my American side and I feel like I live like a double life mm. on top of all of that. And there are so many just days that I just want to give up. I have no motivation. I just don't care. And that holds me back from just trying to succeed from and, and all I want to do is succeed and make my parents proud. But like all of this anxiety and co like constant mental fog, it's just like always dragging you down. And there are days that you're struggling so much that you're just, you feel like you're just in completely incapable. You just want to just not even exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For There's someone in the back. Oh, so I'm Jackson, um, I'm a major. And I just wanted to say like, I'm like a, obviously I'm a black man, so it's a little bit harder for me to do things, like getting a job, um, like driving, because I'm from Philly, so I didn't fully need to drive, and I was also kind of scared to drive, because mm -hmm. like, you know, getting pulled over, the, the, the you know, the fate, like getting shot, like yeah. the other day, my friends went over to McDonald's, and they pulled up from the driveway from McDonald's and then like as soon as like we got there, like off the like, cop car like pulled us over. And like they're they're white, so they were they were probably like not as scared as I was, mm -hmm. but like I didn't have an ID on me, I had only my school ID. It was just really scared for me and they didn't really um like get that because I'm just like it's like just be cool. Like I was texting my mom telling her the whole thing, but it's just like it's just scared being like a black guy, even like being in Philly, because it's just like you have like all these like things weighing on you, and like yeah, it's just and also with the education, like I also went to school in Philly, and like luckily my public school was a good school. I went to uh, engineering and science, which is like the only decent engineering school from Philly. Um, it's a really good high school, but. It's a, it's a really good high school. I came here, and like it's an all black high school coming to an all white mm. college. Like, <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just like, and like it's so many fake smiles that I have to give to people I try to be friends with because that's all that's what you have to do to make connections. But I'm so trying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, talking about the topic of getting pulled over over the summer, if you look, please run me heyday with me because I got pulled over twice for no reason. The one time I got pulled over, I was at a red light for like two minutes. I kept, I started driving away. As soon as I started driving, the police pulled me over for no reason. My, my friend was with me. Mm -hmm. And they started asking all these personal questions that I didn't feel were appropriate. Mm -hmm. And the second time I got pulled over, I was with my boyfriend, my sister, and my uncle, who was significantly darker than I am. And when they pulled me over, the police was talking to me, and I was like, okay, I'm sorry. And then he asked for my uncle's ID. And he was in the back seat, so I don't understand why they needed his yeah. ID. And I think the only reason they asked for his ID because he was darker than me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that, that's answers part of the question you have, that how, in what ways you become aware of that. It's true. Can you, you also have your hand up, so you can go out. Can I one thing answer your question? In terms of, like, especially, not just being a young person, you know, being a minority, from even when you were younger, like, we had to play catch up compared to white Americans. Like, I'm not, like, not really that y'all had it made, but y'all have it way easier. Opportunities come way easier. Opportunities are more in sight because it's not like, not like black people don't struggle, but it's more so in the minority community where it comes from. So it's like, even since day one, we continuously have to work three times harder as what you saying, or even just like trying to bridge the gap between the two to even begin to start the race. Mm -hmm. So like all rip, you just automatically have to work as hard, and that's how you know. Even when you 
like if you're in an opportunity, like you're a minority coming to a school like this versus a predominantly white institution, you can see already that I have to work hard on these people because just through day to day living, you see how it comes much easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I was just going to go back when he was talking about how we came here, like it was like all white community. And I grew up in the suburbs like 15 minutes away from here. So where I live is like a predominantly white town. But when I moved to my town, I like I like faced like a little racism. Like in middle school, like some boys called me Chinese. But in high school, like that all like grew out. I feel like when I came here, um, I felt like ashamed. Not ashamed, but I felt more Asian, if mm -hmm. that made sense. And I didn't like how that made me feel because I would tell people, my mom, like, I love a stereotype. There's a stereotype that people, Asian people own nail salons. My mom owns a nail salon. And I feel like when I, I don't like telling people that because they, I feel like they take that as an opportunity to ask stereotypical questions. Mm -hmm. And they're not racist, but they're borderline racist. And it's just, like, that's something I feel like I have to hide, like, a part, or I don't like sharing a part of myself. But I, then I feel ashamed about that because, like, why should I feel ashamed about what my mother does? Mm -hmm. Because my mom, both of my parents were refugees from the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was, like, a very traumatizing experience for my mother. And my mother's also, like, a single woman of four kids. Mm -hmm. So all of that, like, all of that shame just, like, builds up over time. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, just talking, like, also going on even just having to work harder every mm. like there's something called like a school to prison pipeline. And it's you it's like this, I guess like a theory. I mean it's not to get too far off of like, just talking about personal experience, but like there is something called school to prison pipeline and that's found more in minority communities where the way they get treated in schools or just circumstances around just where they live kinda of lift to them not being able to get past like say college or even get past high school. They don't, a lot of a lot of black kids, black females, Asians don't even really get as far as college because half of them are already in jail by that time, and so it's like this constant cycle um, that you don't necessarily see as much of in white communities, and I think that's also another issue. And even just like, and I'm not saying that like it doesn't happen, but the scale is so skewed uh, for what happens in minority communities and when towns happen. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I'm sorry because we're kind of running out of time, so I'm sorry to cut people off because I know you guys all have great stories to say. <laughs> but I have a last question for you guys just to wrap it up, um, especially because it ties in with what everybody was saying. Why are people so angry towards people who are unlike them? Um, why, like, what do we believe causes this type of hate, and how can we respond proactively to it? What solutions do we think we can come up with to kind of tackle this issue? I think one of the, for your last part of the question, one of the things that we can start doing is basically bucking the system. So if we all in this room decide we're not going to do this anymore, we're not going to subscribe to white supremacy, we're not going to change our identity, we're going to be queer, we're going to be black, we're going to be Latino, we're going to be Latinx, we're going to do all of that. The system has to change. Yeah. But I think as we continue to just say, I'm going to deny who I am, when I walk in this room, I want to code switch. As we continue to do that, the system is never going to change. Mm -hmm. So we have to decide, especially for young people, I'm a lot older, but especially for young people, you have to decide that this is not my parents' life. This is not anybody's white life. This is my life. And I have to decide, am I going to do this because I have to be better? Or am I going to be a construction worker because I'm going to be a freaking construction worker, right? Um, or am I going to be an architect because I want to be an architect? Am I going to be undocumented because that's who I am? Am I going to be Mexican because that's who I am? And I think we have to get to a point, all of our communities, where we decide that we're just not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. As long as we continue to play into the system and feed into the system, um, we give fuel to that fire. And I think we have to decide we're just not going to do that anymore. Um, <clears throat> kind of going off of that, uh, I just want to remind everybody in this room that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, there's beauty in this world. Mm -hmm. There's that you have been presented with all these opportunities, all these struggles, everything that's gone through your life. You've been presented with it because you can you can handle it. You can do it. And once you once you embrace that, once you once you go through the struggles that you've gone through, learn what you've learned, and and share that with others, you start embracing yourself. You start you know 
being proud of who you are. Mm -hmm. You you know for what you stand for. You know what you've been through. And you know that if you ever go through that again, you can do it again. You can help somebody. And I think one of the best ways that we could stop all this negativity like, is it, just sit down and listen to someone. Mm -hmm. Listen to their story. Because, and, and don't, like, don't compare it to yours because you're two, you're two totally different people. You and another person, completely different. You can't, you can't really compare stories because you don't know. You, 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 everybody's situation is so different that it's so hard to have the same exact life. Um, I would just say that um, it's like not a system that like people of color need to fix. I think it's yeah. definitely a, like a white issue. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that racism isn't just taught, that it's ingrained and it's an ideology that if you are white, you have to unteach yourself your entire life. It doesn't stop. So I'd say if you're white, you should just use your privilege for good. If you see a person of color that's being unjustly harassed by like a police officer, use your privilege to like help the situation take out. And I think that's that's really all I can say mm -hmm. about it. It's definitely not our issue. Um, so I definitely do agree with that statement. However, I think it's also on us as well. Uh, just like I already said, um, it's good to embrace ourselves and know what type of change we want to be. Um, you know, it's definitely important for us to educate other people as well. I'm just gonna say a little example real quick. So I used to work at a, at a fast food, at a seafood restaurant by the water over the summer in Long Island. And one time this, I went up to the, to the table to serve this lady and she was with her daughter. And as soon as I went up to say hello, the, the woman said to the other, uh, to her daughter, she was like, oh, does he even speak English? Basically like, without even me saying anything, she already you know, got to that um, assumption. So I'll be honest with you, in that situation, I didn't really do anything kind of just let it slide, but what I should have done was educate her on, you know, you coming off like a little strong, that's not the way to approach situations like that, not everyone is, you know, that type of person. Um, so I do think it's definitely important for, you know, the majorities to, you know, also help us out, but it's also important for us as minorities to educate those people and hopefully, you know, make the change go a little quicker. Um, also, I feel like with just minorities in general, I feel like we do get it because it is power members, and I feel like, whether that's issues between the black and Asian community, the issues with that, whether it's black and Latino or whatever the case may be, I feel like we definitely need to start coming together and educating each other on each other's cultures and understanding each other's stories because there are power members. And I feel like by doing that, you think you can come, because if you can't even love each other, how are you going to expect somebody else to respect you? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's something that Um, something that I also think it's really important, um, also like educating our family um, to vote and stuff. Because I know like my mom, she has had her, um, she's been a US citizen for the longest time, but she has not voted. And we still get into arguments sometimes because many um, minorities think that their vote does not count. And it's very mm -hmm. difficult to sometimes get them to change because they believe that even if they vote, like their vote will not make a difference. Mm -hmm. So I guess also like, um, get your family to like vote or like push them to vote or even like your friends or friends of my party and also to get education like mm -hmm. get educated about what's going on and policies and laws mm -hmm. um, also a lot like um, I know with like um, undocumented to know your rights um, mm -hmm. also like if someone just know your rights I think that's something very important for minorities mm -hmm. to know mm -hmm. well what Miguel was saying about his experience with the waitress. I've worked in a lot of restaurants and stuff like that. And I remember when I was younger, I'd go to stores with my mom. My mother does not speak English and she never will speak English and that's okay. But when I was little, I used to get mad at her and I used to feel ashamed. And I remember, and I was, I would be like six or five, I'd be super little. And the store workers would look at my mom like she was stupid and they would just, wouldn't take me seriously even though I was trying to ask questions for my mom. And it made me ashamed of my culture and who I was. And I realized that's something that happens often. And then we would get mad at my mom because she wouldn't want to learn. But mm -hmm. why would we get mad at her? Yeah. If this, there's no obligation for her to learn English. Mm -hmm. Like she worked, she did fine. But I still felt this sense of just shameful, like being shameful mm -hmm. and being angry because that's what society told me to do. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm older, I realize that. And I feel so bad for it. And then sometimes I revert back to that thinking and I realize that's not it. I'm not the problem. My mom's not the problem. Yeah. Society's the problem. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate this conversation. I think this was a great opportunity for us to bridge that gap 
and see that you know we're yes we're different but we're not all that different we as the other like we all identify with each other and just the you know thing like live for yourself and run for positions of power like if you don't like the way the system is like just you know be part of the system and you know educate other people and influence them with the knowledge that they may not have the access to thank you